Hello and welcome to another Off the Waivers podcast. I'm your host, James Andrews, joined always by my co-host, Eric Barnes. Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's a great day to be a baseball fan, and it's a great day to do this podcast with you, bud. It is. We're going to start our podcast off with some baseball banter, our favorite sport, and then we're going to get into basketball a little bit later. So we'll split the show up into two. Uh, starting off, we're going to go with the big news, though. Carlos Rodon from the Chicago White Sox threw a no-hitter last night. He was actually very close to a perfect game. He went 25 up, 25 down. He only needed two more outs to go before one Indians player uh, sort of leaned into a pitch. It, it kind of got his back foot on a slider, and there was a lot of... um confrontation at the moment of whether or not he should have gotten out of the way of it or whether or if he was just trying to do it to ruin the perfect game but it was a rivalry game between the White Sox and Indians so it's understandable that they weren't going to give him uh, the history easily Mm -hmm. and I mean uh, honestly I think it's a good thing for uh, for Rondon and I think this is a huge uh, I think it's a huge like milestone or achievement in his career because uh, Carlos Rendon, he's a guy who had a lot of injury problems. He was a highly touted prospect, and I think this is going to be a huge, um, you know, pick me up for his career. Kind of like how it kind of was for Giolito last year. Giolito was struggling when he came up, and he started figuring things out. So you've got that no hitter, and then all of a sudden his career is taken off. So I like this um, in this rivalry, especially in the Central, because I think it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be a tight race. I like that the White Sox have pitchers that have the capability of throwing a no-no, and I think that this could be you know, pretty really good um, for them and some ramifications for the future. Yeah, I agree. This is a guy that hasn't pitched in the the past two seasons because of injury, so it was really good for, just to see him get out there and um, dial back in uh, the way we knew he could pitch when he was first coming up into the big leagues. And uh, it was an easy win for the White Sox. They won 8 nothing, but obviously he was the story of the night. If he can continue to prove that stuff, he might be a solid uh, second starting pitcher for the White Sox and could really lead them um, uh, deep into the regular season and even a playoff push if he keeps pitching like this. Yeah, I mean, if you had Giolito, Lance Lynn, and then you had Rondon there as a legit pitcher, then that's a scary three that could really help you, especially in the playoffs. Yeah, you could tell the Indians were not going to get a hit. You probably could have given them another nine more innings against Rodon, and they they, they weren't going to hit off him. His fastball was uh, just absolutely electric, sitting between 98 and even reaching up to 99, even 100 at times. And then his slider was his really go-to pitch. They could they weren't even close to his slider. Um, and it, then he also has a really good changeup too. So good three pitch pitcher. And that's good. was the second no hitter of the early MLB season as Joe Musgrove threw one just last week. What'd you see out of him? Um, I think this is really great for Joe Musgrove's career. I think that was, um, I think it's something that I didn't expect to happen at all. But I've always thought he's a solid pitcher and has some good stuff. So I mean, that's really great for him, especially as a Padre in the Padres uniform for that to happen. Because I'm pretty sure he's a Padres fan growing up. So I mean, that's pretty great for him to happen. That no no. I think I, I don't know if this is a trend that I'm noticing since we've already had two this early on in the season. If it's more so of pitchers being or hitters not being ready and pitchers are just already getting going or if it's just kind of like lucky coincidence but i don't know if you've noticed anything with uh how hitters have been or just in general why we've seen two no hitters already in this early season it's only been like three weeks 
Yeah, I think it's just a coincidence. I wouldn't be too surprised if we go the next three months without seeing another no hitter. But we, um, there have been a couple more no hitters that were even close to getting exactly. that. Um, didn't quite happen. And I 100% agree with your take that the hitting just has been off in the MLB. A lot of games have been lower scoring than they typically are. Uh, teams that were normally putting up five, six, seven runs per game are struggling to put up four right now. Uh, especially the Yankees are the number one team I have in mind. Their their offense has really been struggling, and they have so many guys that should be getting it going that just aren't and so I think it is fair to say that the pitchers definitely have an early advantage so far this season they um it's kind of I guess it was really interesting to see who was impacted the most the um the pandemic still obviously going on I guess hitters weren't able to get as much offseason work in as they normally are whereas pitchers are used to just taking a vacation all through February until they get back Mm -hmm. to spring training and then they're ready to dial it in so yeah I think hitting has definitely been down so far um across the league and that's probably why we are seeing the no hitters like I said you could have given the Indians an extra nine innings. They probably still weren't going to get a hit in that game. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the Indians, I mean, not to be like a huge knock, but their offense isn't that great to begin with. And then you add in those factors, like you can see where this could happen. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to kind of like keep an eye on that for the next month or so until hitters can really like get going, they really get locked in. And then we probably wouldn't see one crazy towards the end of the season. But, I mean, it'll be something to keep an eye on. And also, for what it's worth, Major League Baseball did announce before the season that they were going to be reverting back to their old baseballs that they used pre-2017 before the home runs started bursting out at just absolutely historic rates. Now, we know um, the MLB has lied about this so many times in the past. You just have to take their word for a grain of salt. They lied about uh, using juiced baseballs in the first place, and then they came out and said they were using juiced baseballs, but they're going to stop. So uh, that'll definitely be something to monitor as the season goes on, how many home runs are being hit, and if those home runs are keeping up with the rates from the past two seasons or not i mean yeah that was really like we can go back to like a season like 2019 where it was very clear there was like an uptick in home runs and just the ball was just flying out of the stadium and then you get to like the playoffs and it was very clear like the ball had changed or something like that either in the by the championship series or the um or it was just early on in the playoffs because like the balls that usually went out that we saw go out during the regular season weren't going out and I don't know. Maybe maybe that's a coincidence. Maybe that's a coincidence. Maybe it's just a thing that's happened with the change of weather. Maybe that's just kind of how it is. But I like what you're saying. Like, I can't trust the MLB uh, with this uh, type of like information, or they tell us what ball they're using, what they aren't. It's just I don't know. Yeah, and these two teams, the White Sox and the Indians, turned around and played a day game right after the no-hitter, and there was instantly some beef. I think it was in the first inning, Adam Eaton slid into second. Uh, He beat the throw there, but then he was ruled out because uh, his foot came off the base, uh, but there was um, some beef there. Adam Eaton said that he was pushed by the um, Indian shortstop Jimenez off the base. Uh, The umpires eventually, they did not even take a look at the call, which I thought was interesting because I thought it was certainly a call that warranted a look at it but I don't know what they are and aren't allowed to review in baseball right now and so they ended up ruling him out and the benches ended up clearing so I think look for a lot more exciting games between the White Sox and Indians you know we kind of said it we don't really expect the Indians to be true contenders for this division but they're still a solid organization that's capable of winning um, 81 to 85 games so I think these teams are going to play some very good games this season. I mean, yeah, and then you want to you talk about the Red Sox now? I mean, the Red Sox, they've been kind of scorching out as, uh, of late as well. So kind of like move the conversation over to them if you want to. I mean, I don't know what's going on. Like a lot, when we did this podcast last week, we were like throwing them in the dumps. We were like, they just lost three of the Orioles. This is the team we thought they were going to be. They've just been 
they were going to be a bad team. And then out of nowhere, they've just – the offense has been on fire. The pitching actually looks all right. Like, I don't I don't understand. Like, what are your thoughts on the Red Sox? And they win, won nine straight, I'm pretty sure, at yeah, recording. A lot of their hitters have finally started to get it going, and they're winning just – Good solid baseball games. They're not. They're not doing anything too crazy. They're not blowing the smokes off of teams, but they have won nine straight games after they got swept by the Orioles to open their season. And a lot of it has been on the back of JD Martinez and Rafael Devers. They're three and four hitters. JD Martinez has something like a fourteen hundred OPS right now, which is a Babe Ruth level uh, if he were to hold that up for an entire season. And Rafael Devers is doing really good too. I know Eduardo Rodriguez came back and gave them a good start. And also their bullpen has been really consistent this year, holding lead for them and i think that's probably been the biggest difference i mean jd martinez looks like the guy that they signed uh that that guy where he was really taken off um i believe it was when he got traded and then when he signed that first year of boston when they were that crazy world series team uh that it's starting to look like um the old jd's back and that's crazy rafael devers he's looking like he's gonna have a massive year and i love rafi rafi's a great player i think he's a guy that could really you know be important the key for boston making a, a playoff run and then like we talked about in the past it's all about their pitching the pitching is gonna make or break the team and like you said it's been solid so far it's wild to think that that's this actually happening and uh it'll be interesting to see if they just keep going and all of a sudden we find themselves in june or they find themselves in first place in june by a couple games and you're just like this team might be legit yeah and the al east looks really competitive right now the rays and the yankees are tied in the bottom of the division at five and seven so i think clearly all five teams are going to be in play for it early on the blue jays have looked really good as well with vladimir guerrero jr is finally starting to put it all together but uh, as for the red sox they also have another guy, Christian Vasquez is their catcher. He's hitting fifth for them right now. Uh, his batting average is slightly under 300, and his OPS is a very solid 840. But he's also proved to be one of the best defensive catchers in the game. So now that his bat is finally coming ar- along, he's a legit top five catcher in the game for the Red Sox. And I don't know if anybody expected him to get there two, three years ago when he was just a run-of-the-mill defensive guy. But his pitch framing is the be- is one of the best, if not the best, in the league. He has a very good arm, and he seems to be great. Um, growing a lot more in terms of working with the staff, getting guys through games. And that's where um, just when you're bringing in different guys out of the bullpen and you're shuffling through different starting pitchers, bringing guys up from the minor leagues, having a consistent uh, presence at the catcher like Vasquez really helps a lot for a team. I mean, his progression has been crazy. I, I remember they always had um, issues at catcher for a long time. This In this past decade, Red Sox really haven't found anyone consistent to play catcher. They thought Sandy Leone could be solid, but Christian Vasquez, he came in here he looked like he was going to be all right but like the progression he's had in the past couple of years to being where he's at now he is a legit top catcher in the game that should be talked about um more prestigiously and i just think that he is a he's a solid player and a very good key to this team and i'm glad you brought him up because he's a great player yeah, and moving on now to a team that hasn't been so good lately. The Houston Astros have lost five straight games after they had a really hot start to the season. What have you seen out of them? Uh, I, I saw them lose three straight games to <laughs> the Detroit Tigers. Um, I don't know about you, but you shouldn't be getting swept by the Tigers. So. <laughs> um, personally, I think that the, I, I don't know if I wouldn't say the actual like fans being in attendance is getting to them. I think that their hitting just really hasn't been there. Jordan Alvarez is really just been slumping after I, it looked like he was going to be off to a hot start and just didn't happen, didn't uh, materialize. Jose Altuve, I don't know what he is anymore. Um, I think 
Bregman and Correa are really going to have to like help bring this team around if they want to see some great uh, offense. And then the pitching's got to be better too. I think ideally they have some younger guys, some uh, newer guys, and they have still have a decent bullpen, so they should be able to turn it around. But I mean. Like I said, you shouldn't be losing three games in a row to the Tigers, and you shouldn't be losing five games in a row to start the season. That's never a good look. And I don't. I personally think it's just the it's the booze and the fans and the crowd just starting to get to them a little bit. I think they could probably grow and get past it. Yeah, they certainly called a break last year by not having any fans in attendance all season long. Uh, they, they really got off easy after their huge cheating scandal. And now some of the fans, they just haven't forgotten, and they're really bringing it back. We saw with, when the when they went to Los Angeles to play the Angels, some of the Angels fans were bringing blow-up trash cans. They were taking trash cans from the aisles and just chucking them onto the field. It seemed like everybody was just um, in-tuned out there in the crowd just booing the Astros. And it's something they're going to have to face all season long. And it you're right if if they do start to struggle it's going to get a whole lot worse for them and they need to be prepared for this now because it's only going to grow and get worse um as the course of the season goes on and don't forget by august and september we may have full um MLB stadiums across the board as everybody starts to get vaccinated so it's only going to continue to get way worse for them and it seems like opposing teams are just kind of going to let it happen like I said uh, people were bringing inflatable trash cans into the Angels stadium now I don't know if that uh, goes against MLB's uh, terms and conditions for entering an MLB stadium or not but either way there was an usher that said you know what I'm going to let this one slide because this is just too funny to not let in and be on national television so the Astros are going to have to go up against that all season long I mean honestly they earned that I, I did they definitely have to deal with this. They cheated. They have to deal with the re- repercussions, especially when the league didn't punish them as they should have. So, I mean, I'm glad this is happening. I mean, obviously, no, I don't think that um, everybody should have to deal with the scrutiny like this. But, I mean, when you cheat, you cheated. And you honestly, you have to wear that. Um, and then sp- we want to stay in the West. And speaking about the team that you were just talking about, the Angels, let's go on the other side of the coin. Um, my, I, I want to say, I mean, I don't know – where they're at. I mean, at this point, the season is a long season. But I have to say, my pick for them to win the uh, the West, it's looking pretty solid right now. I mean, I don't know if you've seen Shohei Otani, but he might be one of the best players in the league. <laughs> like, I did not expect this. Just absolute blow up from him this, to start this year. He looked incredible when he was starting last week. Um, his hitting's been unreal. He's been hitting some absolute moonshots for the Angels, and I think that's key to the line uh, for their lineup as well. Um, Anthony Rendon hasn't really been that great, and he's been he's now hurt. Um, and I don't know what the timetable is for him to come back. He'll be a key guy. But I mean, I'm really liking this Angels team so far. Yeah, when Anthony Rendon comes back, they may have the best 3-4-5 in all of baseball with Trout, Otani, and Rendon. Those guys are all capable of putting up MVP numbers. But you can tell Otani is seeing the ball extremely well up at the plate. He's got some of the best... um traditional uh, hitting on numbers so far this season, but also his sabermetrics um, have shown the same story, that he's hitting balls harder than anybody else is, and he's doing it more consistently than anyone else across the league. And also, he's, I believe, 18th right now in be- uh, plate appearances going into today, which shows that even though he still has to um, miss some time as he prepares for his pitch, and he's still trying to be a two-way, he's starting to be more consistent at the plate and get more consistent at bats, and I think that's been the big difference maker for him, because it's just hard for him to get going if he's only um in the lineup three or four days a week i mean absolutely but he's tearing the cover off the ball right now another guy who's tearing the cover off the ball is that man akil baidu 
He is a guy. I'm. He's. I think he's just started getting into the starting lineup for the Tigers. We talked. We briefly talked about him last week, but he is. He is taking off, and I think this kid could be a star for the Tigers. I mean, the Tigers. We talked about last week where we said they're bad. Let the kids play, and they're gonna let the kid play, and he is just doing numbers for them already to start this year. Yeah, so far they're 6-6, six and six, so maybe there is some hope that the Tigers will be a more formidable team than some people realized. But absolutely, uh, Badu's played everywhere so far in the outfield. From He's played a lot of center field, but also some left and right too. So there's no reason that you can't get him at bats somewhere out there, no matter where you have to throw him defensively. But so far he's got over a 1,300 OPS right now, which again is just absolutely insane. So we'll see uh, how well he'll be able to keep it up. I don't think he'll be able to keep up numbers, anything close to that. But he has four home runs right now in the short season and he just um got into the starting lineup now for the tigers so i think he'll be a fun player to watch as the season goes on he's certainly um the early favorite for the rookie of the year in the american league and i i don't know who's going to beat him right now if he keeps up this pace Mm -hmm. i mean he's just a joy to watch i'm glad he's in the tigers uniform Mm -hmm. that's a great pickup for them the rule five draft um and then I think last thing we'll touch on for uh, MLB before we take a break here, I'd say we got to talk about Ronald Acuna. Uh, Fernando Tatis, he went out with an injury, um, was it a week or so ago? And since then, Ronald Acuna has reminded everybody who he is and why he was before Tatis was considered to be the next face of baseball. And he has been so fun to watch. In the past, I believe it was it – was, was it four games? I think he's tearing the cover off the ball. He's got like five home runs, and he's just he's uh, he's been like all over the place. He's they've had some national TV games where he's been doing some big things. He's got a couple multi home run games. Like he's a guy where he brings joy to the game, and I I, mean, I feel like we kind of like started like pushing him to the side or like overlook him when Tatis started like picking up momentum last year. But Acuna is here to stay. He's a guy that is going to be at the top of the game for a long time. Uh, have you enjoyed watching him recently? Oh, of course. He has just been absolutely unreal so far. He's doing it in all aspects of the game. Um, when you turn on a Braves game, if you watch the entire thing, you're going to see him make a defensive gem out there in the outfield. He plays it really well. He's got a great arm, too, so people know they can't run on him. And he is just absolutely locked in right now to play. He's been by far the best player in Major League Baseball. And he's also stealing bases, too, which is something and I love to see because you don't see it very from very many guys anymore, especially guys will come up to steal a bunch of bases for a season or two, and then as their power comes, they'll stop stealing bases. Nope, not Acuna. I think he's made it clear this season. He wants to go for a 40-40 season with 40 homers and 40 stolen bases, if not 50-50, and realistically, I think he can get it. I don't know if they're going to keep letting him steal bases like this all season long because it only takes one little ticky-tack injury on a stolen base for the managers to say, okay, uh, none of this, I'm paying you to hit home runs not steal bases but either way I think he could legitimately hit 50 home runs and steal somewhere around 35 bases for the Braves this year and when you're doing all this with Freddie Freeman behind you in the lineup look out the Braves are going to be a force in the National League I mean I think people probably forget and forget with all that's happened in the past year or so but just two years ago he almost had a 40-40 season um and he was like top three in the MVP race he was really close behind um Yelich and Bellinger so I mean he's a guy to watch out for he's a speed demon on the on the bases and I think a 40-40 season is something that could happen and we haven't seen someone to join the 40-40 club in a long time so I'd be glad. I'd love to see that. So, I mean, that's just great. Um, 
Yeah, we haven't yeah. seen it since Matt Kemp did it, I think, or he attempted to do it back around 2011, 2012. And then sadly, as soon as he came out and said he was going to go for 50-50, his body started to break down, yeah. which is a, a kind of a cautionary tale for a lot of teams that if a guy like Matt Kemp in his prime could break down early on, um, are the, do the teams have to be more careful with their young superstars like Acuna that'll be something interesting to see how the Braves manage him going forward this season yeah that's a good point I mean yeah you don't you don't know what he could do you talk about the ticky tacky injuries you could pick up from that but I mean just an athleticism thing where just like when you're really putting yourself out there that much uh, and you're going for a milestone like that yeah that could w- put a lot of wear and tear on a baseball player but I think Acuna he's young enough and I mean he's really athletic I think this is a guy where I, we could see him go uh, through this or go for an attempt a couple of times and then probably push to that power hitter role that you brought up um, when we at the top of it. So, I mean, I think that's just someone that I just really enjoy watching. And if that happens to him, that would really suck. I just I think he's going to be a joy for a long time. So I, I just personally don't see that happening. And he can bring excitement to any game that he plays in. It doesn't matter how dull of a day or a moment it seems to be. When he steps onto the field, there's an instant electricity about the game that he just he adds just by being himself. I mean, one of my favorite things to see is um, there's been a lot of clips going around recently where he's messing with the second baseman or the shortstop when he's on second base. He's just talking, having a good time, and that's just like really someone who's enjoying the game and he's having fun. And that's I think when you get a talented player like a five tool player like him, and he's just out there having a great time and he's just playing well i mean that's something that just makes baseball and why i love baseball like that just makes baseball fun uh to watch and just like really follow because i just think that a player like him just honestly is why baseball is a great sport and why more people should watch it baseball is a fun sport we're gonna leave off on that (laughs) note so we're gonna go ahead and take a short break and then we'll be back with our coverage of the nba And we're back now ready to talk about the NBA. There's been a bunch of storylines going on as the race for the playoffs starts to heat up. But we're going to start with one man who is a two-time MVP award winner. And yet somehow people are still sleeping on him and hating on his name. Of course, I'm talking about the Stephen Curry, who is scorching hot right now, averaging about 39 points per game over his last eight games, shooting about 50% from behind the three-point line. Uh, What have you seen from him? What I've seen, I've seen a lot of slander on his name uh, over Twitter recently, or honestly all year, all season. I mean, I feel like he's done enough, especially this season, and the tear he's been on of late as well, to really like put to bed, uh, put to bed uh, any like questions about him or like the respect that he should have as a two-time MVP. Um, I've seen him just play great, and I've just seen his team not really been able to you know help him out because like. People, people be talking about Steph and being like, well, he's not LeBron because he can't carry his team for the playoffs. It's like, I don't know if you've seen his team's team, but they've been really struggling. They have a lot of injuries, and he's doing everything he can. Like, he's putting up 50, 60-point games, and he's just on a tear. And it's not – I don't honestly don't think it's his fault that their team's doing poorly. But, I mean, he's been incredible to watch, and he's always been incredible to watch. That's why he's a two-time MVP. Yeah, I think if Golden State was anywhere around the sixth seed or higher, he would be in contention to get a another MVP but like you mentioned they haven't been Kelly Oubre Jr. and Andrew Wiggins haven't really worked out for them like they thought like they were hoping they would and James Wiseman has taken a lot of time to develop and now he tore his meniscus so he's going to sit out for the remainder of the season but that's actually kind of a blessing in disguise for Golden State because now they don't have to worry about giving their young developing 
center minutes and they can give it to Kevon Looney, who has been much better for them as a team when he's on the floor than when James Wiseman is on the floor. As when they have Looney, Curry, and Draymond, they're actually outscoring teams by close to 18 points per 100 possessions. That would put them as one of the lead offenses in the NBA. And so I think the Warriors, they could still make a run. They're sitting at the ninth seed right now. They recently passed the San Antonio Spurs after they were sitting in the 10th seed for what seemed like um, forever. And so now they're still within only a few games of climbing up and maybe even getting to the eighth seed or uh, catching the Nugget or the Mavericks rather for the seventh seed. And if they do so, they could be a true force in the play in tournament and maybe even knock somebody out in the first round. I mean, maybe. I don't know. Uh... It is a, I guess you could say it is a blessing in disguise for this season specifically because, I mean, Kevon Looney is obviously a better player at this point in his career than uh, James Wiseman is. But, I mean, you at this point, I feel like they just want Wiseman to play minutes and, like, it kind of sucks that he would be out for uh, the rest of the, uh, his rookie year. As well as, like, we've seen a lot of, like, um, injuries late, and especially with rookies. Like, this rookie of the year race has really just, like, been um, – torn down by injuries like Lamelo went out for the season um now wait Wiseman's out I think there's been a couple like smaller injuries from some of the other guys that were in the race so I mean we've seen I, I think if I'm the Warriors I would prefer to see Wiseman on the court especially if they got into like the playoff game or what's called they got in the playoff game or like the playing game uh, just to get that experience for him um in his young career but like you said I mean they can make a push their team that um you know everything everything's clicking come playoff time uh, they can make a push. They can do something. I don't think they'll go very far, but I mean, I mean, they're an exciting team to watch. Whenever you have Steph and Draymond's at his peak, uh, I mean, I'm just looking forward for them. If I'm them, I'm looking forward to the future. When you get Clay back, what what can he be? And then what Wiseman can be? And then which what you can do with that Minnesota pick that they got um, in the Wiggins trade? So that's what I'm looking for. If I'm a Warriors fan, I don't know if this season's really. I feel this is another lost season for them. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's a lost season because uh, they're still gaining something out of it. They're still uh, testing Wiseman's potential. Uh, Curry has shown he's still the same player as Draymond Green has shown that he's still an extremely valuable player. So I think for them, it's just figuring out who's going to be on their roster moving forward. And their their future does really rely on getting Clay back healthy. It's been a shame that he hasn't been able to play the past couple of seasons. But if he does come back healthy, they will be a threat to win the NBA title again. And like you mentioned with the Rookie of the Year race, I guess it just kind of goes to Anthony Edwards this year by default just because he's the number one pick and he's putting up decent uh, points-per-game averages, even though he just hasn't really been all that effective for the Timberwolves. And I'm not sure if they're really even that high on him at this point. Which, I mean, that kind of sucks, honestly. Like, if I'm if I'm a voter, like, I'd honestly rather just give it to LaMelo or, like, Tyrese Halliburton. I mean, because Tyrese Halliburton hasn't had the craziest stats, but, I mean, he's been very impactful um, in his uh, rookie season, and it's not really his fault that his team's bad. And then LaMelo and his the Hornets were making a good push, and he was putting up great stats, and then he goes out for the season. It's kind of – I feel like I'm in a similar boat, the MVP, where I feel like despite injuries and missed games, like there's some players that really should be in the discussion still – just because it's kind of been a lost year for some of the awards with all the injuries we've had. Like LaMelo, I, I don't think Anthony Edwards deserves an MVP award over LaMelo Ball um, this season. And I just, I, that's personally how I think. I don't think, I mean, he's not been that great. He's been a guy who's just been given shots on a bad Timberwolves team. 
Yeah, I completely agree with that. And they're already looking forward to their potential number one pick for next season, which would most likely be a Cade Cunningham or Jalen Suggs. And I think it's safe to say that those fans are already looking past Anthony Edwards and just looking more towards the future again. So I just, the Timberwolves really worried me. I don't see really a light at the end of the tunnel for them. And another guy you mentioned, Tyrese Halberton. I do really like him, even though he hasn't gotten the opportunity that, uh, Anthony Edwards has gotten in Minnesota. Uh, I think Halperton actually makes the Kings a better team when he's on the floor. Uh, he'll come in and replace a De'Aaron Fox. And then when that happens, I see the ball move around. Everyone's getting shots up. Halberton was uh, spoon-feeding Hassan Whiteside on a few baskets down low because he knows that's a mismatch. And then De'Aaron Fox comes back into the game, and it's the De'Aaron Fox show where he's chucking up threes, running out of control in transition, missing layups. He makes some great plays, and he puts up points. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just not sure if he really even is makes them a better team when he's on the floor versus Tyrese Halberton. Yeah, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I don't think De'Aaron Fox is a bad player. He was almost an all-star this year. Um, he started like, I mean, he was up and down, I think. But like, he's at that caliber of level of a player. But I, I just don't know if he's a great fit for the roster. or Even this team's a good fit around him. I just, the Sacramento Kings have a lot of issues that they need to figure out. They've always had a lot of issues. And it's kind of like, that's where you can just end the sentence there. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's the Sacramento Kings, period. That's just how it is. And I mean, I, it sucks for them. But I mean, they got a good one, Tyrese Halliburton. Hopefully and give him a chance in the future. Moving on to our next topic, we'll be staying out here in the West. The Denver Nuggets, we talked about how they came out scorching hot after they traded for Aaron Gordon, but now they have to deal with the sad news that Jamal Murray tore his ACL. He was the one that he was really their go-to guy last year in the playoffs. There were times in the bubble where he exploded for 40-plus, and even though Jokic is their best player, there were times where Murray might have been their most valuable player just because of what he can bring um, in late-game clutch shots and just his ability to uh, create big three-pointers. Do you think the Nuggets still have a chance to compete without Murray? Um, I do not, honestly. I mean, I like Jokic right now as a primary MVP candidate, and I, I just see them free falling right now in the standings. I think this is this really uh, derails the season. I had high hopes, especially after the Gordon trade. That was like huge for them. We talked about that last week, where we really thought things were starting to click for them and that they could be a real competitor. But um, this injury is just kind of it's it's over for them. I mean, I don't see like that they'll be a team where they could probably still maybe like push around one victory if they aren't facing someone crazy at the top if they don't drop too far but I mean they're not going anywhere like where we thought they would be yeah the only thing I disagree with you is I don't think they're going to move very far in the standings for the regular season I think that it's still there's not that much time left in the season that they can still stay in the four seed they still have Michael Porter Jr. who can step it up and he's going to get a lot more shots Aaron Gordon will get a lot more shots so they have guys that they can kind of give the ball to and piecemeal it for now but I think if they do stay in that four seed they're gonna have to play the most likely the Los Angeles Lakers in the first round and they would get probably swept very quickly if that happened but yeah so I think Jokic can keep them in contention right now for the fourth or fifth seed I don't think they're necessarily gonna free fall in the standings but I don't see how this team can get past the first round without Murray and then moving over to the Eastern Conference now, the race for the 10 seed is starting to heat up. As bad as those records are, the Chicago Bulls have really started to struggle even after trading for Vucevic. And now the Toronto Raptors have simultaneously struggled at the same time. They're missing Fred Van Vliet. Kyle Lowry's been in and out of the starting lineup with injuries. Pascal Siakam's missed some games due to injuries. Gary Trent Jr. now is missing some games due to injuries. And... 
basically what this is doing is it's really opening the window for the Washington Wizards to climb up and get that 10 seed. We all know how lethal of a team they can be when it's all playing great. They've won their past few games. They even beat the Utah Jazz now in Utah for the first time in several years that they, that they did that. They swept the Jazz on the season. Um, if you're going to be the best, you got to beat the best. We all know that. That's how we do it here in D.C., so uh, I don't see any reason why the Wizards can't be the best team in the league now that they've swept the Jazz. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, uh, it's a little, little aggressive, <laughs> but uh, I mean, it's wide open. That I mean, there's plenty of space, plenty of time for a team like the Wizards to jump into the playoff or playing game. Uh, I mean, that's what it's for. That's why it's there. Uh, I mean, I don't really like. Uh, I'm looking at the teams ahead of them, and I'm not. I'm not like favored. I'm not a favorite. Really like like. Any of the teams, I thought the Bulls would be better after the Vucevic trade. They haven't been. The Hornets are banged up, and they've just been dropping after they like jumped all the way up to five, or four or five um, before. Like I think Gordon Hayward went out. Um, the Heat have been struggling, but I think I expect the Heat to be there. I expect the Knicks to be there. They've been at least consistent. The Pacers, I don't know. The Pacers are a team where I feel like they'll be there, but I don't know with them anymore. The Raptors won't be. Um, so I, if you knock the, the Raptor, the Raptors keep falling down. You knock the Hornets out of there. I don't see why the Wizards wouldn't be that next logical team to step up into that spot. So I feel, I like that. I mean, I think the Wizards are a team that could make the playing game and probably will make the 10th seed. Yeah, I, I know I sound biased as a big Wizards fan, and I'm still very skeptical that the team will play consistent enough to get into the 10th seed. But the Chicago Bulls are going to be missing Zach Levine now for the next two weeks as he goes into the health and safety protocols. Uh, so, And we kind of mentioned when the Bulls made the Vucevic trade that they were very poorly constructed, and I think we're starting to see a lot of that. Kobe White and Lloyd Markkinen are now coming off the bench, and they're not really having opportunities to put up that many points, and that they're just kind of pure scorers, and that's not what the Bulls need them for, and they've been really struggling. So Vucevic is doing his thing, but everyone else out there in Chicago has been really struggling. So I could see them falling, especially with Zach Levine out now. And they have, both them and the Raptors have a top 10 oh, toughest schedules throughout the rest of the season. And the Wizards have the 27th uh, highest ranked strength of schedule. They still have games left against OKC. They have a couple of games left against the Pistons. I think they have a game left against the Magic and the Cavaliers. So there's still plenty of hope for the Wizards that they can rise up and get the 10 seed. And then once they do get the 10 seed, if they're playing well going into the play-in game, they'll still have Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook, two superstars in this game. And that's something that really the, the Hornets can't say they have. The Knicks can't say they have. Even the Pacers are kind of borderline as to whether or not Brogdon and Sabonis are playing well they're always really inconsistent too so the Wizards may even be able to come out of the play-in game if they do get there I mean I mean looking at the Bulls the Bulls have had poor construction issues for the past couple years that's kind of like what this Vucevic trade was um I don't think they're done I mean this season was kind of like just a first step in that direction to like kind of fix their roster but I feel like they're a team where they make the playoffs they make the playoffs they're happy about that um but I I feel like they're probably going to end up sliding out of that plane or they're going to be either in that playing game or sliding out they could be a team i i didn't mention them before i i feel like they should be in the playing game as well uh or in that like mix but i mean they're a team where they still have a lot of moves to make to be um the best version of themselves and i don't think that'll happen until the offseason or next season mm-hmm. 
one team that is playing really well right now, I believe they're tied for the best record in the NBA since March 1st, would be the Atlanta Hawks. Ever since they fired uh, their coach uh, and hired Nate McMillan, they have really been on a tear. They are a top five team in clutch situations in the NBA now, as they were previously the worst team under their old head coach. Do you think that the Hawks can keep this run going and take some momentum into the playoffs? Um. Yeah, I mean... This was a, this was a team that offensively we thought was going to be like actual like just I won't say otherworldly but that's like way too much too much credit but I mean it's a team that we thought was going to be really good they had a lot of good pieces uh, it wasn't happening under Lloyd Pierce we detailed that when that happened that we thought Nate McMillan was the right choice and a good move for them it was already a ready step in and they've they've had a great um, stretch of games uh, of late where they've really turned it around I mean last the last ten they're seven and three. Um, and I mean, like even just doing that, like seven and three in your last 10 in the Eastern conference is enough to push you up into a really safe spot. So I, I mean, I like them going to the play. I don't think they're going to go like conference finals, but like, they can make a second round. I, I think there's a team that, but like just a couple months ago, I didn't think that was going to like possible or that was possible or that could happen. But I mean, now I think it's reasonable or logical to think that they could be a team that could be there um fighting in the playoffs now i still don't like trey young um as your main guy but like i like the pieces around him and i think they did a good job constructing that i still have questions about the defense but i mean ideally they're a good team and i think um, nate mcmillan's doing a good job coaching them yeah, I've always been really critical of Trey Young, but he's playing his best basketball right now. He's finally starting to get his assists in a more natural way. He's starting to get everybody involved and run better sets in the offense. He's not just holding onto the ball, uh, trying to always create for himself or just to try to get, dump it off to somebody for an assist. He's playing a much better brand of basketball. And I think the team as a whole is playing better. And they've still faced injuries too, which is the um interesting thing about their team is DeAndre Hunter, um, Trey Young has missed some time. John Collins has missed some time. Uh, Cam Reddish has missed some time. So I'm not sure if the injuries are uh, actually helping them in a way that they're um, having a more set uh, rotations and who they're bringing into the game and who they're playing together at the same time. So that actually could be benefiting them, just not having to worry about playing so many guys. But at the same time, it also may help them when they get some of those guys back from injury. So right now they're slotted in as the four seed. They're game up on the Celtics. And I think if they do play the Celtics, obviously Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown will be the two best players in that series. But I think the Hawks have a lot more depth than the Celtics do. They're the much better overall team, I think, honestly, this season. So I think if they do play the Celtics, Celtics or even the Knicks in the first round, they could definitely beat them and maybe even do it quickly in a four or five game series. I mean, I saw the Hawks earlier this season when they played the Celtics. I mean, they gave them a really good matchup. I don't think the Hawks were the team that they are at this point um, in the season. So, I mean, the Celtics have been a lot better recently as well. But, I mean, that their team that has been really questionable all year and there's no like excuse or reason why the Hawks couldn't beat them. So, I mean, I- I'm-, I'm right there with you. I think this is a uh, a team that is legit at this point in the year, and it's really a um, good point of discussion to talk about them because like, they've been really, really good recently. It is now time for my showcase game of the week. Last week, I gave you guys a matchup between the Miami Heat versus the Portland Trail Blazers, and the Heat uh, actually cruised to an easy victory. It was 107 to 98, but the score actually seemed a lot closer than what the game actually was because the 
Portland got a good fourth quarter run in after the Heat took all their starters out because they knew they had the game locked up. But the Heat defense really stifled Damian Lillard and some of Portland's other better players like CJ McCollum and Norman Powell out there. They held them. They really struggled shooting from the floor. And this is one of those games from Miami that they finally start to look like that team we saw last year that made it to the finals. And then they'll go and they'll drop a couple of games. They lost to the Suns by 20 just a couple of nights after that. So I'm still having trouble figuring out this Miami team that we've seen. They play, they can play good sometimes, but they're still very inconsistent. I mean, I think they're just tired, honestly. I, I think they played so many games. The finals run really took a lot out of them. That A lot of these guys just haven't been the same players this season. And I, ideally, you they're still a really good team that could probably make noise in the playoffs if everybody's healthy. But... Um, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're a team that they just haven't had it this year, and they've been really just squeaking by uh, when they really should be a top-four team in the East. And, I mean, uh, I'm like any game they play, it's still like, curious to watch. It's still, like, they're still a good team, but like, a lot of stuff just hasn't really worked out for them. Jimmy Butler might have to start getting up at 2.30 in the morning instead of 3 in the morning to do his deadlifting to get his team ready. Uh, but anyway, so my showcase matchup this week is will be on Tuesday night on NBA TV. It's going to be the Phoenix Suns versus the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, Philadelphia has finally got their team healthy and ready to go. Joel Embiid has been back for a little bit while now. He put up he recently put up uh, close to a 40-point game versus the Nets in a statement game, really showing them who the best team in the East was. Ben Simmons is locked into. He's really going for the Defensive Player of the Year award, saying that he thinks he should win that over Rudy Gobert. And then you have the Suns on the other hand who have also been scorching hot seemingly all season long ever since uh, the first month of the season they're still trying to go for the one seed to uh, knock off the jazz out there yeah I would probably favor the Suns by a little bit in this game although I think it'll be very close I'm interested to see who Ben Simmons decides to guard um, either Chris Paul or Devin Booker he kind of struggled on Chris Paul the last time they faced and it was a back and forth matchup that can be um, one of Simmons kryptonites on defense is the smaller quicker point guards like Chris Paul so I think it'll be interesting to see if he just decides to go take out their top scorer Devin Booker and how that matchup will go how Devin Booker does against one of the best defensive players in the NBA and also I'm interested to see the DeAndre Ayton Joel Embiid matchup because they're uh, obviously Joel Embiid is one of the best centers in the game but DeAndre Ayton is quickly developing to get into that same category as Embiid too so it'll be interesting to see how Ayton fares against one of the best um, and I'm going to run a little quick oof of the week I don't know we don't have it in a rundown but we got to still got to do it um, there wasn't really that much but a pseudo one I think is great is Anthony Edwards not knowing who Alex Rodriguez was. Uh, Alex Rodriguez, uh, that's kind of an oof for you, man. When you, you're buying your team, one of your your young star players that you drafted number one, he's like, I don't know who he is. So I just have to throw that in there. Quick oof of the week before we get out. Um, you got any shout-outs before we leave? Yeah, shout-out to LaMarcus Aldridge. He recently retired from the NBA. A lot of people were up in arms when he got balled out from the Spurs and decided to go join the Brooklyn Nets super team. And then he had a couple of really good uh, performances where he showed he still had it and he could still play basketball. But unfortunately for him, he's having some health problems. It was reported that he has some, some sort of irregular heartbeat. So uh, he's going to obviously have to take care of that between him and his doctor and his family but he made the choice that it was best to be safe and um be good for his family overall and he had a great career maybe not quite a hall of fame career but certainly something to discuss i mean yeah he was absolutely he was a great player especially in his prime those portland years he was absolutely uh, amazing i feel like uh he's a guy where looking back on his career if he would have stayed in portland it might have been a little bit different because san diego san diego or pff, san antonio time did not like go great for him but i mean he had a great career nonetheless great player 
um, great guy, and I'm just happy to see that he's making a good decision for his health. Um, and I mean, walking away, walking away from um, the game that you love is hard, but I mean, for doing it for the right reasons is always a good thing. And I mean, just shout out to him. It's been a great career that he's had. Um, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you for listening to uh, this episode of Off the Waivers. I'm Eric Barnes. I'm James Andrews. All right, we'll see you next week. Peace.